Hi, everyone, and welcome to Alien Talk Podcast. Here we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs, and here we always push the limits of our understanding. We are your hosts, Joe Landry and Nori Olford, and we're here with you once again for another engaging, entertaining, and enlightening episode that helps expand all of our knowledge. Thank you for joining us, as today we are going to examine the possible meaning of some of the perplexing passages found in the Judeo-Christian scriptures, as well as the holy books of other religions, and analyze the details to see if what is being described is actually nothing more than extraterrestrial activity. So hello, Ori, and I think this discussion will only take us further down the rabbit hole to suggest how the prophetic visions of the ancient past seem to resemble what are actually nothing short of UFO encounters. Yeah, hey, Joe, uh, and you're right. Uh, the more we closely study these scriptures, the the more we come to realize that what is being portrayed by the ancient writers is some kind of contact with beings from beyond our world. And I'm pleased to say that today we are fortunate to have our friend from across the pond, as you like to say, <laughs> uh, here with us to share some more of his uh, expertise. So we would like to welcome back Aaron Long, uh, who not only runs a popular Facebook page that advocates uh, the ancient alien theory, uh, but who also has written uh, several articles about the subject to include a feature article for Phenomena magazine titled uh, Spacemen Lost to Time, which has been printed in uh, 12 countries. Uh, and Aaron, you can correct me on that if I'm, if I'm wrong, but uh, he is kind enough to join us right now from, from Bristol and all the way f- from over there in uh, merry old England. <laughs> so um, hello, Aaron, and it's great to have you back on with us again, bud. It's an absolute pleasure to be back on, uh, Joe and Laurie, um, as I had a blast last time. Um, and it's, a, like I said, a true true privilege to be, to be on with you guys tonight. So yeah, thank you for having me on. Yes, Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us for another show where we dig deeper into the concept of uh, ancient alien encounters. So first of all, how are things over there in the UK? And also, what is the latest on your new movie reboot that you're starring in? Yeah, so first and foremost, is absolutely freezing in the UK at the moment. So uh, yeah, it's pretty cold. I've uh, been drinking plenty of coffee to stay up late with you guys. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just gone midnight now. In the UK. Well, it's 20 past 12, 20 past midnight in the UK now. Yeah, um, yeah regarding reboot, um, you know, there we we've pretty much we're pretty much wrapped now on on the film. Uh, should see a late twenty twenty three release. Um, is is won eight awards at film festivals around the world. Um, is still got more festivals to uh to be screened at yet, and uh yeah, it's hit the Radio Times in the UK, which is you know it's a massive publication. Um, and we expect big things from uh reboot. You know, so at the moment is. Is is looking good. It's awesome, Aaron. Um, when do you think it will be released there in the states, and uh, will we be able to watch it like on uh, Netflix or something? Or yeah, I mean, we haven't sort of gone down distribution avenue as of yet. Uh, it's still, like I said, it's still on the festival route, uh, doing the festival showings. Uh, it's been, like I said, been received extremely well at festivals all over the world. It won Best Picture at the Sweet Democracy Film Festival in Cannes, France, which we were all shocked, you know, shocked with the result of that. It won, you know, won Best Picture, like I said. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it should hit Amazon Prime. It'll get a Blu-ray release. Uh, you know, we're looking at all, you know, many distribution avenues, avenue, should I say, sorry, 
uh, following the festival route, we're, we're knowing a lot more of, you know, where it's going to be distributed to and where you can see it. But, it, you know, it will get a United States release. So. Excellent. Well, uh, it'll definitely be on our bucket list to uh, watch. <laughs> Fantastic. So, yeah. So so we decided to do an episode on the uh, the possibility that the spaceships hovered over Earth many thousands. And I mean thousands of years ago. And they were... Alluded to as clouds, uh, whirlwinds, um, pillars of fire, chariots of fire. But these were depictions that our ancient ancestors had to use in order to describe what they had witnessed. Now, we read about them in religious texts such as the Bible, but also in others like, you know, the Jewish uh, Talmud and the Hindu Mahabharata. Actually, Joe, you and I just uh, finished two episodes devoted solely to the Book of Enoch, and we find detailed descriptions of uh, these crafts from other worlds that um, seem to have visited our planet to assist us, lead us, and even rule us. And uh, we are going to elaborate on some scriptures that describe starships or spaceships and such from from the Bible, and and we try and uh, and throw in some other ancient writings as well that seem to be. You know, clearly describing that. So, Aaron, if you would tell us again um, what compelled you to passionately pursue your studies in this ancient alien theory and, and start that web page or that Facebook page, uh, Ancient Astronaut Theory. Yeah, um, no, that's a great question. Uh, great, great, yeah, great, like I said, great question. Um, it, you know, ever, like I said on, on the, the last show, I was on with you guys uh, ever since I was a kid. You know, I used to look out my window at the stars and you know, I used to always think, you know, is there, you know, is there many people, you know, people or civilizations looking back thinking the exact same thing I was thinking. Um, you know, I, like, I was always fascinated with with the possibility of other life, you know, within the universe. Um, I think I touched on it briefly on the last show I was on with you. Uh, I went to Catholic, uh, Catholic school and um yeah, religious education classes were, you know, I, I, I always came away with more questions than I did answers. Um, and then, I, you know, my, sort of, my dad asked me, you know, well, he said to me about a book called Chariots of the Gods, to search Chariots of the Gods. And as soon as I read that book, I was hooked. Um, it answered many questions that I had, uh, many questions that uh, school teachers just couldn't answer. Um, you'd be reprimanded for asking questions in RE class. You know, you, you just shouldn't question what you're being taught, which is, uh, you know, completely preposterous, you know, in the first place. Um, asking questions, you know, is, 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 is where you get answers. You know, you, you, you need to ask questions. You can't just accept what's being taught to you, um, especially when it doesn't make sense. Um, you know, and I've, I don't know if you want me to touch on it now. I, I went when I was living in Bath. I, I used to go into many churches and ask the priests about certain books within the holy book. Uh, you know what this meant, what that meant, and one of those books was was the Book of Ezekiel, what we're going to speak about tonight. And um, I, I I received no satisfactory answer from 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 the priests in the churches. They just said um, it all on faith, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All, all, the only, the only answer I got was it was, it, it was the vision of Ezekiel and it was, you know, the, the Lord almighty, you know, it, it was, you know, the Lord showed himself to Ezekiel. But, right. Um, we spoke a while back uh, the last time 
uh, you were with us, that through comparative mythology, we find that the idea of a deity, either as a pantheon or as the monotheistic god, and with a capital G, is a perpetual yeah. story. It goes on back to the dawn of human civilization, and that it repeats itself again and again. It's a cultural notion that emphasizes how we, the human race, got its start from something somewhere way out there, and that this was uh, intentional and by design. Uh, this is a predominant theme in the Hebrew Bible. We find descriptions or depictions of Yahweh telling his people that very thing and also revealing himself right before them in their midst. Now, you just mentioned that you were um, talking about you have a special interest in the book of Ezekiel. And, and it definitely is a fascinating piece of literature and it involves a fascinating character as well. You know, Ezekiel, the prophet. So tell us, what is it you find so intriguing about it? Okay, yeah. So, you know, here you have a prophet who is um, walking along the River Shabar. That's how I pronounce it, the River Shabar, which is thought to be in uh, Syria today. Um, and you know, Ezekiel sees the heavens open and what he describes as a will within a will um, uh, comes out of that, that cloud that opens, uh, so to speak. Um, I mean, I've got, I've got sort of bullet points with me at the moment. And, you know, I don't know if you want me to read certain verses from the book of Ezekiel so we can uh, elaborate on them. Yes, please do. Yeah. So we got Ezekiel one and he, 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 you know, here we have a, a very detailed account of what I'm going to go on record to say is an ancient UFO site because in his 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Well, of course, he's going to say he saw visions of God because he had no technological frame of reference. Um, and then he goes on to say on the fifth of the month, uh, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Joachim, jo if I've pronounced that correctly, if I haven't, apologies. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was on him. Um, he then starts to go on and elaborate on this. And he uh, details this account very, very uh, intricately. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant brilliant light the center of the fire looks like glowing metal so here he's describing that he's seeing glowing metal if you want me to stop there a minute and you want to elaborate no, keep on that. Going. No, no, go ahead, keep going. Uh, then he goes on to say and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures in appearance their form was human so Already on the fifth verse, Ezekiel is describing um, a craft because he's already described it as metal. Um, and he describes four living creatures that are inside the craft. And he's saying their form was human. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work, work out that, he's, that something is in the sky. There's four living creatures within a craft descending. And, you know, he... he you know, we, Ezekiel just goes on and on, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Um, he's he's clearly at this point, but you know, he's he's clearly um, he's confused. 
because like I said, he had no technical technological frame of reference reference. You know, it's the, probably the first time he's seen anything of this of this sort. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. So what in my personal opinion, I think what he's trying to get across here is that he's speaking of legs that are on the craft as the, the craft starts to land. So he's, he, you know, he's describing that the legs are burnished bronze, which they probably were. Um, but as I said, he's very limited to, to, to how he can describe what he's seeing. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings. So he again, he's going over, you know, he's, he's detailing what he, he's, he's really, really observing what's going on. Um, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Now, this is a very, very important part of the, uh, of the encounter. Because I don't know if you've read a book, uh, Joe and Laurie, um, The Spaceships of Ezekiel by Joseph Bloomrich. I, I've, yes. actually, I, I've not read that one. I heard about it. Laurie, have you read that one? No, I've heard about it. And uh, I think we even brought it up in one of the uh, episodes uh, yeah. with the uh, spa- with um, the episode we did on Ezekiel in the first season. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. Okay, yeah. Uh, Joseph Bloomrich, for the listeners, if you're not aware of Joseph Bloomrich, he was a NASA engineer. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go into more detail. We have enough time on, on the, uh, the um, result of what Joseph Bloomrich uh, discovered after, after reading the, the book of Ezekiel. But like you said earlier, Aaron, you said something about it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. And actually, there was a rocket scientist that actually uh, created, speaking of Joseph Bloomberg, it was him, the rocket scientist, that actually recreated this, this entire description from the book of Ezekiel and a claim that this is a um, this was a spaceship of some time of some kind. And he actually patented, I think, the Omni reel, a wheel, that wheel within the wheel. That's exactly what I was just about to go into. Yeah, so thank yeah. you for that, Laurie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, Ezekiel, did you want me to carry on with Ezekiel, uh, with what he's, what he's describing? Well, well yeah, I mean, uh, it's, I mean, it seems from the narrative, uh, I mean, you can pick back up if you want, but it seems from the narrative of Ezekiel that, you know, what he is seeing is a, is a spacecraft of some sort, and, and that what he is experiencing, experiencing is a close encounter of, what we would call the fourth kind, which is an alien uh, abduction. So he is saying that the Lord has taken over the movements of his uh, physical body, you know, such that he is not in control of it, which he later, uh, um, you know, talks about because he is being taken from his comfy spot by the, the 
how do you pronounce this? Cybar River or Tribar River? The Highbar River. And then he's dropped off someplace else where, you know, he sees that wheel uh, above the ground by each of the living creatures with its four faces. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he sees sparkling crystallite and he, he emphasizes that they are living creatures. I think you just mentioned that Aaron and he calls him that every time in, in that first chapter. And I would say that he means they are flesh and blood creatures. And he gives a pretty detailed description of, of all of this. And I mean, he's wide awake and it's not visions. I I mean, I mean, he's not, a, it's not a dream. Uh, he says not visions. And, yeah. And he, he doesn't say that he was sleeping by the river. He's conscious and, and not in some kind of trance. So, yeah, Aaron, no, you think uh, you think Ezekiel's witnessing that alien spaceship then? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there, there's just a couple more verses I want to, you know, quickly get across that, that really are of importance there. Um, yeah. You know, he details the the technological, um, what, what, how would you say, uh, the the technological workings of this craft, shall we say, in the best way that he can. Um, this was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. So he's really doing well with with you know with the era that he's in. He's really doing well with describing what he's describing here. Um, as they moved, they would go in any one of four directions, which is the omni wheel. Uh, the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. Uh, so there's one more. Sorry, Joe and Laurie. Uh, when the creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved, and when the creatures rose from the ground, the re- the wheels also rose. So again, it doesn't take a genius to work out that these creatures are or beings are uh, functioning this craft, which is now on gr- on the ground. So, you know, I'm reminded of the movie uh, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier from 1989. And it has a scene where Captain Kirk, uh, Dr. McCoy, Mr. Spock, uh, along with Spock's half-brother, Cybok, uh, they meet a strange entity called the One who is on Shaikha Ray, uh, mm-hmm. which is located in the center of the galaxy. And it's, it's, it's supposed to be God, the omnipotent and omniscient. So in the scene, they, they breach the Great Barrier, which is this energy field that surrounds the center of the galaxy. And they encounter the one inside of a cave on Shakarway. Um, and the one tells them that he wants to use the Starship Enterprise to carry his wisdom beyond the Great Barrier, like a chariot, he actually says. Uh, Kirk is suspicious of this statement, as well as exasperated, because God should not need their help. So he asks the now famous line, what does God need with a starship? <laughs> um, and when the one asks what preacher Kirk is, Kirk replies, don't you know? Aren't you God? Uh, so it was later found out in the movie that the one wasn't God after all. Ended up just being some angry old life form trapped behind the barrier and who, who wanted to escape, thus needing a ship. Right, Lori? Yeah, I believe we already know the answer to the, to the question. What does God need with a starship or any kind of vessel or any kind of technology for that matter? And that is, he doesn't. You know, God or any kind of spiritual being doesn't need that. But a corporal uh, organic creature who might be mistaken for God does need it. So, Aaron, we see that uh, many texts have depictions like this with the gods doing feats that are incredible and seemingly unnatural. 
Do you think this uh, fits the apostasis that the reason that this is so is because guys like Ezekiel were really just misunderstanding the fact that they were encountering aliens in alien spacecraft? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, I'm 100% convinced, not 99%, I'm 100% convinced this is the case. Um, you know, if you showed an iPhone to a caveman, he would think you were a god. You know, it's that simple. You know, he would, you know, it would be classed as magic when it's just simply um, progression and technological advancement. That's all it is. Um, you know, if we landed on a planet, a very primitive planet, and, and again, showed them the latest iPhone or smartphone or whatever, um, they would drop to their knees and, and worship you and they'd forever talk about you that, you know, something divine landed on our planet thousands of years ago and they would draw it in the sand. They would put it, yeah. put it on cave walls. I don't think would... you even have to go back that far. Uh, I think you just went back 100 years, uh, say back to the Victorian period, and you showed them an iPhone. Uh, they would think you are uh, a wizard, uh, practicing some kind of black magic. They wouldn't know how to comprehend something exactly. like an iPhone. Now, Ezekiel thinks he's witnessing something supernatural, as anyone in the ancient world would think, but it may really just be misunderstood machinery, um, technology. And in chapter one, verses four through nine, he describes this, this center of fire looking like glowing metal. And in the mm -hmm. fire was, like you said, looked like four living creatures. And in appearance, their form was like that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their exactly. legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf. And they gleamed like burnished bronze, and under the wings of them, on the four sides, they had the hands of a man. And yeah. all four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Now, what do you guys make of this? I mean, I think we, we just kind of dabbled in it already, but here we have these anthropomorphic and zoomorphic elements, meaning looking like humans and looking like animals. Aaron, you first. Yeah, no problem. Um, I mean, uh, you know, again, I'm going to go on record, you know, and I don't know if I'm going to upset. You know, all respect to to each each their own, and all respect to to all religions. But you know, I'm going to go on record to say that Ezekiel was definitely, definitely not not uh, witnessing uh, a god here. You know, quite. You know, he's witnessing interstellar travelers here, or the star beings of some sort. Yeah. Well, like you said, so their legs were straight. And their feet were like those of a calf, and yeah. they beamed like burnished bronze. I mean, if you look at landing, if you think of landing gears, that that reminds me of a landing gear. You know, like so, even in the sci uh, the sci fi movies, when you, you have that straight uh, diagonal like looking leg, and then you have that what looks like a uh, a hoof, <laughs> right? That's how they would describe it back then. And and uh, and then under their wings, uh, you had four their uh, four wings. Um, they had the hands of of a man. He, again, he's just trying to describe that with his uh, his terminology at at the uh, at the time. And yeah. uh, they had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. And um, and they also made loud noises when they went about. And and what's interesting too, I think a little bit later on, it describes uh, what looks like the son of man inside of them, which you know it's inside of a glass dome. It says so. That's obviously a pilot. Um, a human-looking pilot uh, in, inside of these things. So I yeah, think we, that this... Yeah, cool. I'm sorry. Uh, 
Yeah, I was going to say that I think this this is definitely a vehicle of some sort. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm in agreement with you, Aaron, that this 100 uh, percent is a vehicle from you know from another world, and that's and that's been stated before, even by some Christians who don't buy into the idea of ancient astronauts. Um, some of them claim that Ezekiel and John the Evangelist as well uh, are being given visions by God of what is to come in the future. So that's how they explain it. So they agree that these images could actually be the technology of the present times, such as airplanes, helicopters, and you know missiles, and that the prophets are getting glimpses of the future as a revelation from the Lord. Now, I don't believe that, but uh, but Aaron, they they usually disagree that it is misunderstood as alien technology, which is what we believe it is, like spaceships. So, what convinces you that these kinds of visions aren't just dreams, but a real uh, experience or real experiences, actual close encounters. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, again, obviously we're on the subject of Ezekiel. Um, is the is the amount of detail that he's he's put into these verses? Um, you know, he's you can see that he's when you read when I when I personally read these verses, um, I can feel his frustration in what he's seeing. Um, you know, it's like. Like I said, we're going back. You know, if you saw something thousands of years ago that you had never seen before, uh, what frame of reference would you have to, you know, to to um, you know how to describe it to connect to it? Does that make sense? So you 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 yeah. sort of quite in frustration, and that's the exact feeling I'm getting when I'm reading these verses. Um, the and if you notice, the wheels aren't described until this craft lands. So. It's like a it's like a rover landed on Mars. The wheels won't come out until the rover lands, uh, and it's something very similar to a rover. It, you know, it could be, um, you know, sort of testing the elements on Earth. You know, I just don't know, but it it very much uh, is reminiscent of a modern day rover. That's what I'm getting. You know, from Ezekiel's yeah. account, uh, and the four beings are operating this this craft or vehicle, shall we say, when it's when it's touched down on ground. On terra firma, should we say? Yeah, because I mean, when he, further into his chapter, I mean, it actually describes his abduction, and he gets angry, like he's he's pissed off because yeah, exactly. he gets picked up. <laughs> he gets picked up against his will, and he's taken on board this thing and dropped off on some other mountain pass. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, if this was truly God in the spirit, as we you know traditionally believe him, like why would this? Why would something like this even happen? And first of all, why would a a mortal be so angry and upset that you know God did this, you know. So, but you know the uh, it wasn't this scripture. Um, the first scripture passage that I ever came across and left me thinking about the spaceship landing wasn't from Ezekiel. Uh, it was from Exodus, and specifically with Moses going up uh, to Mount Sinai, and that's yes, in chapters. 19 and 24, which is, mm -hmm. I, I like to refer to as the Mount Sinai first contact, because this is, this is where Yahweh uh, gives a command to Moses to, you know, set up tents and a fence at the base of the mountains. So he can come in like three days to meet the people of Israel and reveal himself to them. So this is supposed uh, to convince them, I guess, that uh, you know, what Moses has been saying all along is true. And that he's been talking to God, and then you know this way they would better obey him. So, so Yahweh does descend upon the mountain in a cloud, as they call it, that shook everything with a loud sound and covered it in smoke. 
it even says that smoke rose up out of out of it like that of uh, from a furnace as it descended and and in exodus 14 um we see that there was also the pillar of cloud that you know led them by day and the pillar of fire by night and that led and guided them through through the desert you know we all know the story now we can interpret this as a offering craft with either exhaust ports at night providing light on the desert floor or even searchlights from the ship but in verses 24 and 25 it even says that god during the last watch of the night the lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the egyptian army and threw it into confusion by jamming the wheels of their chariots so Aaron, this is something tangible and physical, not magical. Um, But what's really important to know here is that God, the almighty creator of all things, was inside of uh, whatever this thing is, this this, this, this cloud, as they call it. And like we said before, a spirit does not need a cloud uh, to descend on a mountaintop. And when that spirit does descend on a mountaintop, it wouldn't be smoke and fire causing to billow at uh, to billow up and shake a mountain and billow up smoke which is you know usually caused by what wood fire and uh fuels right absolutely yeah i mean you know god wouldn't need a craft or a vehicle to get from point a to point b it it just just wouldn't happen like that um i mean at the last show that that i was on with you guys i briefly touched upon the substance known as manna which was given to the Israelites uh, during the Exodus. Uh, it was this pillar of cloud by day and fire by night that supplied the manna and the manna and what Rodney Dell and George Sassoon in the fantastic book The Manna Machine. Uh, just that they they described it as just that it was a machine which created a uh, an algae like substance which uh, gave them nutrition for the you know forty year Exodus you know for the Sinai Desert. Um, so again, we have, and you know, if you look a lot into the Hebrew Bible and even ancient Sumerian texts, um, Yahweh or God, whatever you want to call him or call it, should I say, um, is constantly intervening within the, the affairs of, of the civilizations on earth. Um, you know, I don't know if you're, you're, you're getting that feeling as well, but it's con- constant intervention. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we mentioned yeah, the machine um, a few episodes back. Uh, I think when yeah. we talked about alien tech, right, Lori? Yeah, yeah, we did. And uh, but you know, to to further explain on this uh, spaceship that descended on Mount Sinai, I mean, it's we may as well not even refer to it as a cloud anymore. No. <laughs> but it, uh, I mean, um, it says that uh, I think the verse goes on to say that the seventy elders that were invited up with Moses. They saw God standing at the top of a paved platform. Hard I mean, this goes this, and this goes against our traditional views. And it says that they ate with God and they drank together. Oh, so, yeah. and and so now I'm I'm really like you know how like I really like how the uh, the New Living uh, Version puts it in chapter 24, uh, verse 16. It says after Moses went back up the mountain to spend 40 days inside of this cloud with God. It says that the shining greatness of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and that the cloud covered it for six days. And to the Israelites, it looked like uh, a consuming fire. Um, so could the, the uh, shining greatness be referring to the same thing as we mentioned, Joe, um, in the book of Enoch, 
the the Shekinah glory that is uh, uh, which is the Merkaba, which is the Hebrew for chariot. So I mean, we see a literary connection here between the glory of God consuming fire, encompassing cloud, and a, and a vehicle which is a chariot that is meant for you know the purpose of travel. Now, if it seems odd to talk about God being inside of some kind of cloud or fire pillar, then it is even more strange that in Numbers 12, 5, he tells Moses and his brother Aaron uh, to leave the, the tent that they're in so he can scold their sister Miriam for gossiping. <laughs> um, I mean, never, never like so- sounding like he's, uh, I mean, he's sounding like he's an extraterrestrial here because Yahweh sounds, he sounds more like a person. Um but regardless, the point is that he isn't being illustrated as an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present spiritual entity, but instead one who is more like flesh and blood with a body. Perhaps he's even something like a hologram that that they're seeing, just like you know from Star Trek Five, uh, or is it Five or Four? It's Five, five right? Yeah, where we can't you know negate the possibility that if Yahweh is indeed an alien being. Um, that he possesses an incredible kind of uh, technology. And Aaron, just imagine the impression that would, you know, be left in the minds of a bunch of bronze, bronze age people wandering about the desert, right? Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, when you look at bloodlines as well, um, if you go back to the uh, the days of M- 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 get my words out in a minute, Methuselah, um, Enoch, you know, Moses, they're all the same bloodline. Noah. Um, they've all been heavily um, influenced by Yahweh. Um, and it seems that Yahweh picks uh, certain bloodlines throughout the Holy Lands and th- you know, throughout the ages. And it was this bloodline that, that was most definitely uh, you know, picked out, so to speak. Uh, we, we, you know, we, we, even if we look at the old, elder, brother, older brother of Moses, Aaron, the rod of Aaron, which was, in, again, in my opinion, misinterpreted technology. We've got the breastplate, you know, which was worn by, but you know, by by Aaron. Um, the breastplate was again, you know, a communication device, misinterpreted technology. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant. We could go on and on and on. Uh, you know, it was technology supplied by Yahweh. Well, you know, visions are certainly a major part of the Old Testament. And they're distinctive in that God, that being Yahweh, is audibly talking to people. And actually, an analytical psychologist named Joseph L. Henderson studied the mythical tradition of the Navajo Indians back in the 1930s. And he claimed in his treatise titled Ancient Myths and Modern Man that the belief in God having tangibly dwelt among humans far back in antiquity is what is central to our modern theologies. So in the Bible, we see that uh, God is sometimes said to just be right there. Um, and that's typical in some books like Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, sort of like an abstract and, and maybe more of a, an incorporeal voice uh, that follows them around. Other times, uh, like in Ezekiel, he is manifested, or Ezekiel in, in, in Exodus, particularly Exodus. He is manifested in these amazing appearances, which leaves the prophet speechless. And, and like you said, struggling to describe what he's seen. And it's important to realize that you know not all the scriptural books are the same, that some are trying to convey more spiritual meanings about uh, the divinity through symbolism and prose, 
while others uh, are relaying stories that are much more like narrative about something taking place right there in reality, or at least it was being perceived as, as such. Now, Aaron, do you believe it's possible that you know, all the religious imagery we have today is, is actually nothing more than the stories about ancient people seeing spaceships? Yeah, I, again, yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Um, you know, we've we've got you know, obviously the the episode's called Spaceships of the Bible, um, and I wouldn't mind sort of delving just like sort of two minutes into the uh, the Jacob's Ladder, sure, uh, within Genesis. Um, and I've got the verse right here, and it's very interesting. Um, so we have, you know, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. So once again, we've got, um, you know, we've, we've, we've got Yahweh or God intervening within human affairs. Uh, and that obviously within the Bible, it, it states that, you know, it was a, a dream by Jacob. Um, but Jacob tells you at the end that, you know, he doesn't think he was dreaming and that the Lord was actually in these lands and the ladder did descend. So, you know, here we the ladder descending would obviously, you know, come from a craft. You know, it's a physical object. Yeah, and the, the, the stories are, are always kind of really in the Bible. It's like partially dream and partially real. It's like they're saying it as though it was a dream, but they're also mm -hmm. describing it tangibly too so you're always kind of left wondering what exactly is happening uh is yes. something dreamlike or is it just they can't describe it any other way except that it seems like a dream but you know what it is is, is actually uh, a tangible occurrence that they are like you said struggling to to really describe um yeah would, would you agree with that Lori? yeah and i mean it, it affected him so much that i mean he changed the uh, the name of the place and whatever and built an altar and all that stuff there so and of course the same thing is found in in many other cultures uh we see them um uh, these aerial things in the uh indum you know Ma, uh, how do you pronounce that mahabharata and mahabharata, uh, the, great text. yeah and, and the ramayaya rana mm -hmm which uh, are Sanskrit epics. Uh, some of it is philosophy and wisdom literature, but I mean, some of it is comprised of mythological stories of, you know, among other things, flying palaces of the gods called uh, Vimanas. And we also mentioned that in, or Enoch uh, mentioned that in the text saying, you know, these palaces were up uh, outside of the earth's atmosphere. So, um, and Vimanas, they looked like, uh, landing pyramids pretty much um or you know pyramid type designed uh spacecraft and these are uh shown in both the hindu and uh jain artwork uh to be like uh, floating buildings or floating platforms and and some show them being pulled by large powerful horses just like a chariot so um the the chariot in the sky seems to almost be like a universal symbol of divine power and, and presence. Right. And also then in, in Islam, the Quran and the Hadith uh, tells of Muhammad's night journey where he flies from Mecca to Jerusalem on something called a Barak, which is like Absolutely. a winged steed. Uh, but in Arabic, it literally means lightning, possibly a bright flashing creature, possibly angelic. But mm -hmm. it, it could also mean like a fiery chariot, something 
definitely not of this world. And, and from Jerusalem, he is said to uh, have ascended the, the seven heavens, where he, before reaching the throne of Allah, he meets figures uh, like Adam, Moses, Jesus, and you, you guessed it, Enoch. <laughs> um, the whole tale tells of an interplanetary excursion and possibly even an interdimensional one. So, Aaron, we keep coming across these narratives about fantastic things that are going on up in the sky. And uh, I, I guess you, you think of what people are really seeing. I think you've hit this uh, a few times, but you, you really do believe that what people are seeing in the sky is based on these uh, textual narratives uh, is, is what they're what we would call today UFOs. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, as you described the Vimanas of ancient Hindu Sanskrit within the Mahabharata and the Ramayana, which are amazing informative texts within those texts you also read of um the the the, the writer describing how the hair and nails uh, fell out of the humans on earth when the gods warred in the heavens so uh, we have a direct reference to radiation here uh within such sites mahendu daro in pakistan we, we see uh burials oh i wouldn't maybe not even burials but um you know skeletons of you know beings in hand um so you know we have a massive uh fallout and we have the you know physical evidence to prove this of something significant happening over four thousand years ago within the within the indus valley um it's also interesting to 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 note that there was a a really curious artifact which was discovered in um it was known as top raquel a city known in ancient times as Tuspa, which is located in Turkey. And yeah, there was an excavation there, and they, they what they discovered was what is now known as the Istanbul rocket. I don't know if you guys have seen this artifact. I'm sure you both have. You said it's called the Istanbul rocket? Yeah, yeah. it was it was uh you know it was discovered, like I said, in Top Raquel, which is which was known in ancient times as Tuspa, and it was uh you know, it was sort of dated to around 2,500 years ago. On that artifact, if you haven't already seen it, um, there's 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 what looks like an astronaut in a ribbed, pressurized spacesuit sat inside this rocket. And um, the, in ancient Mesopotamia, these rocket ships were known as Shems, S-H-E-M. Uh, yeah, they, were called, that they were called... That was from uh, Zachariah Sitchin. He, uh, he, he referred to those. Oh, right. It was Sitchin, was it? Yeah, I knew they were known as Shems. You know, and if someone like Ezekiel was witnessing a flying craft, you know, you have to ask what words would he use to describe it? You know, what would he think of it? Uh, where would he think it came from? You know, what mental associations would come to his mind? Uh, would the idea of anti-gravity come to his mind? Not likely. Uh, how about electromagnetic energy? No, they, they didn't even know what that was back then. Or how about propulsion and you know the mechanics of motion? Uh, his comprehension yeah. of the appearance of this kind of object in the late Iron Age would not be the same as ours in the 21st century. You know, we exactly. have the, the knowledge of modern physics and astronomy and engineering. I mean, even uh, most lay people today have a, a good basic understanding of all that. But what knowledge would Ezekiel have had? Uh, he, well, he had beliefs in the supernatural, you know, spirits, angels, magic, God. Uh, so the passages that he wrote are a means to communicate uh, that what he saw was something that he thought would have come from the Lord. And his ancient vocabulary, his ancient frame of mind wouldn't have allowed him to do otherwise. And, and Laurie, you mentioned the Mer uh, Merkaba, 
which was referenced the last time when we were talking about Enoch. Like you said, it is Hebrew for chariot, and it also represented a form of Jewish mysticism in the first century AD that was based on the symbolic meaning of fiery vehicles that could ascend up to God. And we could find a very vivid depiction of this imagery in 2 Kings 2.11 when a chariot of fire and horses of fire separate the prophet Elijah from his friend Elisha, and uh, Elijah is taken up in the heaven in a whirlwind. So, Aaron, do you find a connection between the Elijah encounter and the Ezekiel encounter? Yeah, I do. I believe they're one of the same. Um, I believe, you know, Elijah uh, encountered what exactly what Ezekiel did. Uh, it's interesting to note as well that the, the two prophets which never saw a physical death on earth were obviously Enoch and Elijah. That's um, right. So, yeah, we have the two prophets that, you know, quote unquote, ascended to heaven within a fiery chariot. We all know that there's, you know, it's very difficult to to believe that a chariot could take you up into the into the heavens. I mean, they 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 meant space. They just their, uh, you know, frame of reference at the time was the heavens. You know, they were just they were simply going out into space. Um, I'm sure that you know you and Joe, you, Laurie and Joe, you've both read the books of Enoch. I've heavily read, you know, researched the books of Enoch. Mm. It even states in there that Enoch has to wear a special suit or garment, should I say, before he even enters the uh, the craft. That's right. And I mean, even yeah. Jesus, uh, he he dies, and then it's, it's said to you know raise him to dead. So yeah, uh, Enoch. I mean, uh, Enoch and Elijah skip death even jesus didn't get to skip death he came back from death exactly. uh, he had to uh, ascend into the sky right Lori? yeah he did and uh um the uh yeah the space suit so he pretty much had to wear the same clothes as god or the gods were wearing which were their clothes for space <laughs> and of course there is also uh, an allusion to a uh, sky vehicle mentioned with jesus ascension uh at the beginning of the book of acts and that's where it says that he was taken up into heaven right before their very eyes, uh, looking intently as he was going up, like they were focused. And then a cloud, um, a cloud hid, uh, uh, hit him from their sight. Some, some versions like the uh, New American Bible say a cloud took him from their sight. So just like with uh, Moses, Elijah, and Ezekiel, we see how an aberration in the sky, be it a cloud, a, a wheel within a wheel, or a uh, chariot of a fire, in, in, in is central to the story of what is actually going on with Jesus. Uh, indeed, even uh, the Mesopotamian cylinder seals, they depict similar things, things that truly uh, look like the gods from above and and inside some some type of like flying disc or uh, flying chariot with wings and landing gear, like uh, like one with the Assyrian god Asher um, inside uh, of one. And uh, Joe and I did a show on the on the paintings. Remember Joe with the ancient paintings? You know we have uh, beings inside of uh, flying vehicles, and we have the you know artwork and down in the Mesopotamian artwork with the Cuckoo Khan and. They're all sitting, look like they're inside of uh, vehicles, uh, manipulating controls and that sort of thing. So, yeah, right. You know, guys, this this notion has pervaded human thinking all the way, you know, well, I mean, definitely through the Middle Ages, but really since the beginning of time. And, and, and uh, there's an, 
it's, there, it's apparent in some of the remarkable works of art that have been produced, uh, like from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. If you ever get a chance to take a look at uh, the uh, the Baptism of Christ painting, uh, from an incredible painting uh, by the Dutch artist Eert Gelder, it's it's a very bizarre scene. And this one uh, has what looks like a Hollywood style UFO, you know, like right out of a sci fi movie. It, it has a yeah. disc. I'm sure you've seen it before. Uh, it's, it's out there, yeah, and on on many. Um, internet you know any kind of ancient alien uh, internet uh, page will find it but it shows a disc in the sky that you know what looks like a, a white light in the center and it is in the clouds above john the baptist and jesus and yeah. they glow with a golden light and it's beaming four rays of light down upon them you know with a surrounding crowd of people so why was this painted in the in the first place you know why not just show a scene where clouds are parted to open up the heavens you know, like we see in, in many other works. Instead, this one has a saucer-shaped apparition that appears like a flying craft aiming four laser beams down to the site of the baptism, which is not exactly how it's mentioned in the scriptures, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting you say. Yeah, so, the so, paper uh, seems to be saying something more about this account, perhaps something uh, that is forbidden and, and cannot be spoken out loud for fear of heresy. Uh, if that were so, he, like others, may be sharing some esoteric knowledge that was imparted to him by someone else. And it's tantalizing to think, indeed cogent to think, that based on what we find in the archaic traditions, whether in literature and art, is that extraterrestrial beings are very much a part of our religious fabric. So, Aaron, any, any final thoughts about uh, this profound notion? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you, you say about the discs within uh, Renaissance paintings and, and, and so forth the the romans if you look if you look back at uh you know cer certain ancient texts the romans used to describe what what they thought were they were seeing they would obviously say they were flying shields but they used to describe gleaming flying shields within the skies um so again you know they're they're describing what they are accustomed to uh, we all know that, sh you know, there's no such thing as flying shields, so to speak, unless you're throwing one, but they were describing, you know, gleaming shields, like ascending and descending within the skies, you know, over the Holy Land. So, yeah, again, we got constant frame of references to, to something unknown in the skies. Well said. Yeah, well said. And uh, actually, like I always say, is like if we, any of us, the three of us or anybody was to go back in time, to these time periods and witness the same types of things that our ancient ancestors had witnessed, we would have a completely different description of everything. But we would describe all of these in our terminology, and we would definitely, I think, walk away. I think you guys would agree that these that we would actually be describing, oh, those are spaceships, those are shuttle vehicles, those are aircraft, those are helicopters, whatever the case may be. So, uh, but anyway, so that will wrap it up for today. Uh, I, I just want to remind everyone that next Thursday, January 26th, the uh, TV show Ancient Aliens will be live at the Orpheum Theater in Phoenix, Arizona. And it starts at uh, 5 o'clock p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And Joe and I plan to be there. And so we hope that uh, if if any of you are able to make it uh, there, that, uh, you know, we we hope to get to meet you in person. If you see us, uh, just walk up to us and introduce yourself. <laughs> yeah, you won't be able to miss us. We'll be wearing our Alien Talk podcast shirts. 
And I guess we'll be seeing uh, what we're in the middle right section of the auditorium, Lori. Um, yeah, yeah, we are. Yep. Yeah, we certainly hope to get to meet some of you folks. Uh, that would be nice. And as it is, the the subjects that will be discussed there by the host, that being Henry Williams, um, Travis Taylor, Giorgio Sukalos, David Childress, and maybe even Nick Pope, a uh, very interesting fellow. Um, I'm not too certain that this is a tour that they're doing from city to city. And I don't think that they're always the same host at any given stop. So I don't know exactly uh, which ones will be there in, in Phoenix. But uh, Lori and I will take good notes and we'll be sure to share with uh, all of you the, the main points that are brought up. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the presentations for this particular live event are supposed to center on things like the government disclosure, the military uh, UAP reports and you know, declassification of Roswell records and that sort of thing. So it's hard to say exactly what what all uh, is going to, going to be discussed there. Uh, we won't know until we get there, I guess. <laughs> but uh, whatever it is, uh, we plan to bring you a good synopsis of it. Um, you know, that, that won't be until February 12th, though, uh, as we'll need a, a little bit of time to compile and organize the information that is uh, most noteworthy to relate to you. So, so we look forward to uh, to that and and hope we you know get to meet some of you. Like I said, so Aaron, once again, uh, it was truly uh, an honor and a privilege to have you on again. Um, you're Likewise. a great guy, very humble, and uh, it was a great discussion. I um, still love your uh, Facebook page. I check in there from time to time, mm -hmm. and I think uh, we covered a lot of material and hit a lot of uh, key points and about the ancient encounters with uh, alien spaceships. So. Um, so thanks for sharing your insight and expertise with us, Aaron. And, uh, no um, and, bef and, um, yeah, so. I uh, just want to add, yeah, just want to add something real quick before we, uh, before we wrap, I uh, just want to say a big congratulations to you guys on the, uh, you know, number being number 33 on most dang nudes. Um, on, on, is, it, is it feed spot? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. A, Thank so you. A big, big, big congratulations guys. You, you, uh, truly deserve it and i'm looking forward to the new book that's coming out is that right that's right yeah yeah, yeah. waiting to hear <laughs> we're supposed to hear uh they said by the end of this week so I, okay yeah uh, hope, hope they're telling the truth <laughs> um but yes, yeah, uh, but I, like i said I'll, I'll, I'll publish that on my page guys and uh yeah i, I sincerely love being on this show and uh oh. yeah it, i've had a blast boys so okay. the pleasure's all mine well, thank you, uh, Aaron, for this opportunity. It was a real pleasure to be able to talk to you uh, once again, and, and you really helped expound on some of the um, profound mysteries uh, about biblical and mythological stories, especially like what we find with the book of Ezekiel. And I'm sure our audience uh, really enjoyed hearing your knowledge about it. Uh, so real quick, go ahead and tell everyone your social media information so they can follow you if they, already, uh, if they don't already. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Yeah, so um, my the page is the Ancient Astronaut Theory on Facebook. There is a another page with the same name, um, but obviously, you know, there's you can decide for what page you want to follow it. Um, so yeah, we've been going. It's been the page has been going for years and years. Um, again, a big shout out and a big thank you to Graham Mum who took me on for the page to publish for him. Um, you know, it's a great honor and. You know, I, I, I owe a lot of thanks to him and his family. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and then, folks, don't forget to follow us on our Facebook page and send us any of your questions, comments, or suggestions. Uh, let us know what you think of this episode. 
Also, we'll post some uh, links for Ancient Aliens Live on our Facebook page, and we look forward to being with you on January 29th for our next topic about alien implants, which uh, happens to tie in a lot with the reports out there about uh, alien abductions. And then we'll be with you again on February 12th to talk about the live events. So until then, everyone, stay curious as always. Yes, uh, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we look forward to being with you next time. And we also encourage you all to now check out our new website at uh, www.aliantalkpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show, read our bios, um, see uh, what's in the works for the show. Um, Joe and I should be doing some newsletters and and that sort of thing. Um, And then we'll be having upcoming events. You can um see that on there and uh we will be attending uh some events in the future here pretty soon um books will be promoting etc so fun and exciting times ahead and uh you all are a big part of it and thank you all for the show of support you give us and have a safe and enjoyable week so bye everyone